0: We have a special presentation by our associate pastor, Pastor Ron Zettel, and he is going to walk us through the prophetic bulletin uh, for the church so that we understand what God is calling us to this year and where he's going to be leading us. And so, Pastor Ron, would you please come and share with the congregation? Thank you, my brother. Sorry. Good morning. Let's pray. Lord, we just pray right now that you'd open our hearts, open our minds, even our eyes, Lord, that that we would be able to encounter you here this morning, Lord, that we would be able to receive the words that you would have for us this year, and that we would steward them wisely, that we would take them seriously, and, Lord, that we would incorporate these words now into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, this morning is going to be a little different, like Pastor Tim just said. um, It's not going to be so much a teaching or preaching, but uh, kind of a review and more strategic in nature of the prophetic words that we received for this year. So um, we're going to go through the prophetic bulletin, and hopefully you got that in your homes this week. We mailed it out last week, so hopefully everyone's gotten it by now. Uh, For those who got it, were you able to read it? How many were able to read it? Wow, a good number of you read it. But uh, no worries, I'm here today. I was assigned to read it to you. (laughs) So so, um, let me just start off by going through the first one, and it talks about uh, more of the same. But before I do, I should just give you a couple quick words of instruction on how to receive a prophetic word. One of the things that we're doing as a church, we're being very intentional and deliberate, and raising up the fivefold ministry that's found in Ephesians 4. That's the scripture that talks about that some are called to be apostles, some prophets, some teachers, evangelists, pastors, right? And so we're trying to raise up every one of those office gifts in this church. And so depending on where you fall, that would be where you align yourself to. And so we have a prophetic team that we've been working behind the scenes for the last two years, training and equipping those who called... uh, to minister prophetically and so with that um, one of our outputs is this prophetic bulletin that I'm speaking about and every year we seek the Lord at the end of the year in November and December and we say Lord what are you saying to us for the next year for this church and so these are the words that we got last November last December and we put them into the bulletin so that you have kind of a, a takeaway something that you can refer back to and see the direction of this church for the next year. Okay, Um, we're just identifying trends that God is highlighting to us. And then today I'm going to roll out those 2013 words. But when you receive a prophetic word, one of the things that we instruct people that come to our prophecy rooms, that you have a responsibility as the hearer, as a receiver of a prophetic word. And so what we like to say is take the word and candle it. And what we mean by that is egg farmers, when they start taking the eggs that the chickens produce They hold them up to a candle, up to a light source, and they look at that egg to see if there's life in it. If there's life in the egg, that egg goes in a bucket to go to the hatchery, and if there's no life in that egg, it goes into the bucket for the bakery, right? And so when you get a prophetic word, hold it up to the light. Say, is there life in this word? Does this align with scripture? If it violates scripture, throw it in the bucket, get rid of it. But if it's a true word of God, then you want to steward that thing to see it hatch and see it become birthed and full-grown. One of the goals is to be modeled after 1 Corinthians 4.13, which says that the object of prophecy is to encourage, comfort, and um, edify. So that's what we are seeking to do today. Um, One thing about the prophetic word, as I said earlier, it must always align itself with Scripture. And one of the things that Pastor Tim has been hitting on really hard is the sons of Issachar, Right. They were the ones, they were the tribe that knew how to interpret the signs of the times and they knew what Israel should do. So in our prophetic team, that's what we're striving to do is to identify the trends and knowing what we should do as a church and what we should do as a community so that we can be a prophetic wo- uh, voice to the world and to the city. Um, as Pastor Tim has also mentioned we're meeting with the city government, city leaders, and they look to the church to say, "What? What do you feel is happening? What do you think God is saying?" So this is how we can communicate to them. So for 2013, um, we were uh, laying out these words. 2012, we got 12 words, but 2013, we only got nine words. We thought we'd get 13, but um, turned out to be nine words. But I'm going to try to roll those out, and so I'm going to be going pretty fast. So. Apologize if I'm going too fast, but I feel like I'm trying to stuff an elephant in a birdcage here. I've got a lot of ground to cover. Okay, so the first word was um, more of the same. Let me read it to you. It says, The first and strongest impression that the team felt the Lord was emphasizing for 2013, that 2013 would be a continuation of the words the team received and published for 2012. It would be prudent to review the 12 prophetic words the team received for 2012. The Lord was communicating that 2013 will be more of the same with more intensity and urgency concerning what was revealed in 2012. As a quick review, we've listed the 12 headlines from the 2012 Prophetic Bulletin below. So you can get a copy of the 2012 Bulletin, but basically this is a snapshot of the the key topics that it covered. And as you know, last year we talked about a lot purity and personal holiness and so I want to encourage you to ramp that up, continue increasing that. That word carries over into this year. And I'm not going to go through all 12, but you can see some of them pop out at you as uh, we talk about our tribal language. Some of the, the sayings that we have here in the church are kind of buzzwords. Number three there, are you in or are you out? We just heard a message on that last week, right? Are you in or are you out? So this year, again, continuing in that same trend you have to ask yourself continually Am I on board with this? Do I belong to this? Am I in or am I out? Um, number uh, nine, I think, was interesting. Talks about a cottage industry or barter system. Because of the economy, the way it's going, a lot of people are changing the way they purchase and acquire things, right? We're turning into a barter system. Craigslist is really exploding. And it's interesting as we highlight these words how many times the world confirms what the church is saying. So we got this word a couple years ago, and now when you turn on your TV, you see shows like Barter Kings, right, Pawn Stars, Storage Wars, and all these alternate systems of using currency to acquire goods and services. So that was a trend last year that we saw, and you can see it's really come to fruition. So the other thing that was interesting about the 2012 words I mean, the 2013 words is how they all fit together. And you'll see that as I march through them systematically, each word builds on the next. So, uh, interesting pattern that we saw emerge here. Okay, the next one is the first commandment being restored to first place. It says, this year the first commandment is being restored to first place. The church is going through a time of transition as she is reminded of her first responsibility to love God. This recalibration will cause a major shift in all we do for 2013. The Lord is inviting us back into the original partnership he has always desired for his bride. As our hearts are recalibrated by loving him on all levels, heart, soul, mind, and strength, we will be empowered to carry out the second command to love our neighbors as ourselves. So this is the starting point in everything, isn't it? We have to put God first We have to love him first. It's impossible for you to love your neighbor if you don't love God because that's what empowers us to do the rest. So this is something, this is the starting point, this is step one. If we don't get this right, we won't get the rest of it right. So I want to encourage you this year, make every effort to put God first, to put the first commandment in first place. It's time to weed out any idols, any distractions, anything that's hindering you or stopping you from getting God in his proper order. So this year you really have to work at it and and purpose in your heart to put him first. That's our grid. It's our filter. Everything we do, every decision we make, every purchase we make, you need to ask yourself, am I putting God first in this? I really want to commend the women's ministry on Tuesday mornings. Ladies, if you're available, get to their study. Uh, That's what they're studying right now. They're studying the first commandment and how to put the first commandment in first place. So I just think it's awesome that when God gives us these words, he starts communicating in the spirit realm to all our leaders, and they're all on the same page. And, you know, unbeknownst to them, they started, and they had a burden on their heart to study the first command. And um, here it is, one of our prophetic instructions for the year is to put the first commandment first. The next one is belonging, and so far you guys have heard a lot about belonging, right? And I'm kind of excited because there's a real buzz in the church over this word, but let me read the, the word first. It says, A major emphasis of the church this year is to cultivate a sense of belonging to the community of believers. As the world increases its violence and overt hostility towards the Christian community, we will become more loving towards one another, Instead of majoring on our differences, we will be drawn together with a strong resolve to stop wrestling against each other and start working together as a united bride of Christ. This new unity will be birthed by our response to the first commandment. The churches that do well in responding to loving God will be the ones that the Lord will empower to foster this sense of belonging as we realize our positional authority of being uh, beloved sons and daughters of the Most High God we will extend that sense of belonging to others. Um, We're really excited about this word. Last year, as staff, as the pastors and elders of this church met, seeking God for direction, clearly this word surfaced above all the other words that we have to build a sense of belonging. And so we're being very intentional and deliberate about that. The first three messages of 2013, if you remember, Pastor Tim has been talking about what? Belonging. And so just really hammering that hard, and how do we extend that sense of belonging? It's understanding our positional authority when we put God in first place, that we realize that we belong, and we are sons and daughters of the King, then we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And so therefore, as we belong to Him, we belong to each other. And that's exciting, isn't it? I don't know about you guys, but I'm really excited about that. Um, When I was a younger man in my 20s, I used to hang out with this guy. I worked with him. He was probably the most intelligent guy I ever met. He was truly a genius. He served in the military in the Army Intelligence. He was a codebreaker and uh, just an amazing guy. He had the best stories you've ever wanted to hear. And he lived a very exciting life. But whenever we'd hang out, wherever you went, he was always living on the edge. So it was kind of nerve-wracking but exciting, both the same. So if we were going to a Tiger baseball game or Detroit Lions football game or uh, if you went to a concert, anywhere you went, he would get you into the inner circle. So, for instance, if we were going to a baseball game, you'd find yourself in the Tigers locker room. Or if we were going to um, a concert, you'd be backstage or on the tour bus. Or if you are going to a restaurant, you'd find yourself in the kitchen with this guy talking to the chef. And he just had a way of getting into everywhere we would go. He could find the highest place and get into it. And I always remember he did the same thing every time as we were about to enter into a dangerous situation where you could get thrown out or something. he'd stop, and he'd turn, and he'd say, whatever you do, just pretend like you belong. Just act like you belong. And you know what? It worked every time because he had a confidence. He had a boldness, Right? When you belong to something, you have authority that other people don't, and he got us into so many places, and he could talk his way into or talk his way out because he had this sense of belonging wherever he went, whatever he did, and I don't know about you guys, but I want the world to be that way with us, right on our heels, because you always wanted to be right next to this guy and not say a word because he was so good at belonging, and so I, don't, I, I just want the world to see that in us. They just want to follow us because they know that we belong to something that's much greater than they do, right? So that ownership that comes with that sense of belonging, we need to develop that. We need to cultivate that, and we need to walk in it like never before. Okay, the next one, seeking and bringing the kingdom. As the church aligns itself with the heart of God, a new sense of mission will arise. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, encouraged his followers to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. A further recalibration and reprioritization of the church will shift our attitudes away from worldly pursuits to kingdom pursuits. The Lord has issued a challenge. Why do you waste your time seeking for pastures that do not nourish and for waters that leave you thirsty? Those who are willing to seek and trust in the Lord will see a great change. The Lord is challenging us to break our addictions to comfort and ease. The Lord is removing the idols we lean on and taking away our safety nets. A deep satisfaction and sense of contentment will bring great peace in the midst of the storms that are raging worldwide. As his ambassadors, we will bring his kingdom to bear on the society around us. Um, this is truly a major shift in our priorities. I love what it said about stopping our pursuits to addictions of comfort and ease. How many of us are so addicted to comfort and ease? Our lazy boys, our televisions, our couches, right? Our remote controls. And it's time that we put away those things. Those are truly the lesser things, and we need to get going in what God has called us to do. We started off the year with Jody McLean and with Tiffany Barnhill. These two ladies came, and what did they do? They stood up here, and they challenged every one of us to start living a life free of the comforts and addictions, didn't they? They talked to us about boldness and about courage. And I'll tell you what, they're my heroes. These ladies that got up here and said, "Uh, follow me. I'm, I'm going for it. I'm going all the way with Jesus Christ. I'm not holding back. And they're in dangerous situations. But they know the satisfaction of following and loving God and doing what they're called to do, there's no greater place to be. And if you would have known, like Tiffany, a couple years ago, this girl was afraid of her own shadow. And to see her up here preaching with boldness and the authority, uh, it's a transformed life. And I'll tell you what, there is no TV program, there is no video game that can hold your attention like following God. Amen? So I tell you, amen. These sisters have got it down. And Mary of Bethany was that way, wasn't she? When she took that alabaster vial and she broke it over the head of Jesus, you know, a year's wages, and the disciples said she wasted it all on the Son of God. But the thing about her, she knew the exact moment of time that she was living in. She knew there was no better way to invest that oil and to spend that oil than to prepare Christ for his burial, right? And to this day, thousands of years later, what are we doing? We're talking about Mary, aren't we? We're not talking about the guys that were just hanging out under the shade tree. We're talking about Mary, who put it all on the line to be a devoted follower of Christ. So I want to encourage you to find out what God has called you to and start moving in that. Guys doing okay? Okay, Um, the next one, Sermon on the Mount Lifestyle. This year, believers will begin the journey back to the kingdom lifestyle principles taught by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Many teachings will share this theme of living simply by these kingdom principles. The fruit of the Beatitudes will begin to show up in the lives of individuals and churches as they begin to filter every aspect of life based on these teachings. The world will see an irresistible presence of God in these believers as they commit themselves to this path. The world will begin to fall in love with the simple yet profound lifestyle as taught by Jesus in the book of Matthew. So again, another recalibration. Can you see how these words are just all fitting together? Every puzzle piece drops into its proper place as they're built on one another. And we're going back to the basics. It's almost as God hit the master reset switch, isn't it? Because we get so tangled up in our own thinking and our own understanding that sometimes you got to take a step back and say, what's this really all about? What's this unto? And when you discover it's unto the simplicity and the purity of the gospel that Jesus himself preached, it's an amazing thing. This was his kingdom manifesto teaching us how then shall we live. And the thing that I love about Jesus is his method and his style of teaching. If you look at the book of Matthew, it starts with Matthew 5 through 7 as we revisit the Sermon on the Mount. And he gives us the oral teaching, right? He gives us the direction. He says, This is how the kingdom works. This is how you should live. It's Christianity 101, and he lays it out perfectly, step by step, very systematically. Then the second thing he does in chapters 8 through 10, he actually demonstrates it. So you have examples of where he's going out into the world and saying, see this stuff I taught you? This is how you now do it. And he spent time modeling it, teaching it. And the third thing he did is he sent them out in chapter 10 and said, now you guys go out and you do likewise. So it was the teaching, the demonstrating, and the empowering, and the sending out. Um, In my early days of Christianity, I grew up under the Vineyard Movement. Um, Some of you may have heard of it, but John Wimber was the leader of the Vineyard Movement, and that was exactly his teaching style. Whenever you went to one of Vineyard's conferences, they would have a time of teaching, then the next thing they do is they'd have a time of demonstration. And then thirdly, they'd have a time of impartation where they would expect you to put into practice right there that weekend at that seminar the very things that you were taught and demonstrated. And then you'd go home and you'd terrorize your pastor because you'd be so on fire and you'd be dangerous. And all he'd be able to do is say, settle down now. <laughs> settle down. But we don't need a settled down church we need a church that is on fire, a church that believes every word in this gospel and starts to live it, starts to walk it out and understands who they are and who they're called to be, and they become dangerous. You know what? Challenge us. We as pastors, I don't mind it. I'd rather steer someone who might be in a little error or a little rambunctious than trying to push a parked car. And, you know, it's so hard to move somebody off dead center who isn't willing to move, who isn't willing to go. It's much easier to channel someone who might be a little sloppy, but we can tighten that up. So feel free to challenge us. Tim's not here, so I can say that, right? (laughs) But when Jesus was done speaking, what did it say? It said the crowds were amazed because of his authority. They're like, who is this guy? Where did he get this authority? Why is he able to talk like this? And you know what? Every one of you have that ability to talk with that same certainty, because we have the greatest teachings at our disposal. And finally, I just want to see the Beatitudes start manifesting in our lives. You know, I love how the Sermon on the Mount starts with the Beatitudes, but I think it should also end with the Beatitudes, because to me the Beatitudes are an outcome of living a Sermon on the Mount lifestyle. So in your studies, if you're wondering, you know, what should I study next?, Lord, I don't know where to start in the Bible. Start right there. Start with the Sermon on the Mount and make a study of that because God is really highlighting that in the season that we're in. So I encourage you to do that. Okay. The next one is your right to forgive. It's funny. This came up right before communion, didn't it? Um one word specifically for the American church emphasized that we are now becoming the persecuted church. Tension is mounting slowly and steadily as many of society's ills are blamed on the church. Ridicule will grow more harshly, but we're not to respond in kind. The church is commanded to pray for peace and not judge or retaliate. In America, we may lose our rights under persecution, but as Christians, we have the right to forgive. While this may seem to be a position of weakness, it is actually a position of strength. As we pray for our persecutors, it leaves room for God's judgment. Our forgiveness must move from inconvenient forgiving to unconditional forgiveness. This is a huge word right now because, as Christians, the world would probably tell you that we are probably the most easily offended people and we're usually the last to forgive. How did that happen? We should be the least offended people. We should be unoffendable, shouldn't we? Nothing should get to us. You can't hurt a dead man. We're called to die to ourselves, aren't we? And we're alive to Christ. So nothing the world could throw at us should be able to harm us or hurt us. But yet we walk around so wounded, so offended, especially with one another, don't we? And talk about lack of forgiveness. That should be the hallmark of Christian character is our ability to forgive no matter what. And I don't know about you, I've seen people in the world extend forgiveness towards me much quicker than the church. And I'm not trying to down you out, but I'm just trying to be real with you today. And so that needs to change. We need to be loving and forgiving more so than the world and pattering at to the world. Um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, shamed the believers for taking matters to the civil court, didn't he? He says, you know, you shouldn't be bringing your dirty laundry before the civil courts. In fact, you should be resolving those disputes amongst yourselves, and you should actually um, be teaching the world how to resolve problems and understand how to do conflict resolution. Matthew 18 is bulletproof. If you get a chance, again, in your studies, look at Matthew 18. Jesus has laid out exactly how to resolve a conflict and we need to follow those steps. And there's actually an escalation process in that as well. You know, what happens if you can't get past step one? You take it to step two. Step two, you go to step three. And with that, it's genius if you are willing to use it. But I find that most Christians aren't willing to use Matthew 18. But yet, it's such a, an awesome tool that God has given us. So we need to start using that, and we need to start to exercise our right to forgive as a church, and as a people. The next one, uh, increase in the miraculous and demonic forces. With the increased focus back to the kingdom, we will see a renewed strength in the supernatural. Demonic forces will rise up with vengeance, but we are not to fear. As we adopt the kingdom lifestyle, we will begin to tap into spiritual boldness and authority that will validate our positions as sons and daughters of the king. Supernatural provision will flow to and out of the church on historic levels. We must approach this power with purity, righteousness, and our heart must be to represent the kingdom well with this authority. Many who have struggled to break free of demonic strongholds will experience deliverance over lifelong afflictions. I don't offer this up to scare you or to concern you, to worry you about the increase in the demonic, but we know in the end days that the dark gets darker, the light gets lighter, right? So we need to be prepared. We need to be trained up. We need to be ready and equipped. But one thing that's interesting is we're going to be taking back the prodigals this year. We're going to be rescuing people out of darkness like never before. And what you need to do is start praying for those prodigals in your family, those loved ones. Moms, I want to encourage you. They're coming back this year. Dads, I want to encourage you. They're coming back this year. And you need to pray them back. You need to pray them in. Amen. And what I really want to encourage you is to pray that they get a revelation. The prodigal was one revelation away from going home, wasn't he? He woke up one day and saw the squalor and the filth and the pig pen that he was living in and the pea pods that he was eating. And he thought. Wow, my father's workmen have it better than I do. And he decided that day to return home, didn't he? So that's what we need is for our children and for these prodigals to wake up to their estate and get back to where they're called to be. And many people are just going to shake off those addictions. They're going to get sick of their sin and say, I want to be done with this like never before. So we need to pray for our leaders and, and really lift them up as well. I'm seeing such an increase in the demonic right now, and we need to really take our stand and and raise up these leaders. Pray for your leaders, and there's lots of attacks, but there's great power in prayer. The next one is, um, I just wanted to highlight one other thing too on that point, is my counseling has really shifted this year. It's very interesting because we got this word, and, you know, normally I counsel people that have addictions or they have problems or they have crises that they can't seem to get over, and I'm okay with that. I mean, I'm perfectly fine with that. That's what I love to do, but this year it's been different. People have been coming in and saying, what's my call? What's my direction? What has God given me to do? And it's really refreshing because I'm able to sit there and pray with people and try to identify their gifts and, and their identity in Christ. And it's really amazing to see how many people are catching the vision and saying, how do I plug into the kingdom? How do I get going on what God has called me to do? And so I really welcome that as well. The next one is the emphasis on evangelism. It says, the fivefold ministry will have an extra emphasis on the office of the evangelist. A heart cry of many within the church will be focused on reaching lost. An open-air church will begin to arise as the church awakens to the season of harvest that is at the door. Many ministries will actually begin to meet in open-air spaces, and tent-style revival meetings will begin to mark the landscape. Men and women are being prepared to have the unction of many forerunners and evangelists, such as Spurgeon, Finney, and Edwards, men and women of renown that knew how to connect with the heavens in their preaching. Circuit riders that pattern their ministries after Wesley will gain much influence over major population centers. The office of evangelists will work as the lead gift with other gifts such as the prophetic evangelist, which will marry the gift of evangelism and the gift of prophecy to increase effectiveness in the reaching of the lost. Um, I'm really excited about that. I don't know about you guys, but the harvest is at the door, and God is preparing us. He's given us the tools. You know, we as a church, our vision for 2020, by the year 2020, we want to have three church plants established in the territory, the footprint or the region that God has highlighted to us, and we need to get moving really fast on this. We only have seven years left, and so we want to make a difference. We want to make an impact, and we want to do what God has called us to do. So when I look around this room, I see many apostles. I see many prophets I see many pastors, evangelists, and teachers. Every one of you has a gift. Every one of you have a call. And it's time that you start walking in it. It's time that you start going for it with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And don't be held back any longer. So whatever we can do to encourage you in your, your gift, we want to help you with that. When you have three more churches, you know how many more elders, how many more deacons, how many more pastors, how many more prophets how many of each office gift we're going to need to equip and to take over this territory that God has given us. We really, really need to get busy with this, and you're going to see a lot of deliberate changes being made to position ourselves to launch out on this effort because in seven years isn't much time to accomplish all that God has called us to do to be prepared for this great harvest that's coming in. So I just want to encourage each one of you to, to grow into the full stature that God has for you. The next one was the Great Commission. It's pretty much uh, dovetails off the previous one on evangelism. It says that with the uh, emphasis being on evangelism this year, the church will return to fulfilling the Great Commission. The goal of many evangelists is to win converts to the church. If you revisit the Great Commission, the call was not to merely make converts, but to make disciples. Making converts has resulted in superficial believers and a superficial church. As we truly fulfill the Great Commission, we will begin producing true disciples who obey everything the Lord has commanded. This will make the church begin to reflect his glory. We will not only understand our commission, but we will actually walk confidently and boldly in our calling. A pure devotion will be on every believer as we begin to see the fruit of the Spirit manifest in our lives and the lives of our churches. A maturing of the church will be one of the greatest outcomes as we devote ourselves to the Lord's methods. And so, again, uh, great question. Are you just merely making converts or are you making disciples? You know, converts are just those who merely know God as Savior. You know, I got my ticket in, I've been saved, and that's all I need to do. But God's call was not to make converts, it was to make disciples, people men and women who walk in their gifts and their calling and teach others to obey everything that's commanded. So do you know him as as just Savior, or do you know him as Lord and Savior? Because the Lord is someone who has command over someone, who has power and authority over someone. And so I think we're making that new connection to say, I want to know you not only as my Savior, but as my Lord, where everything in my life is surrendered to you. And I yield every decision. Everything I do is yielded to you because you are truly my master. Today is Super Sunday. And what would happen if we all tuned in this afternoon to watch the big game and what was televised was a bunch of guys sitting around the locker room reading and studying the playbook. It wouldn't be too exciting, would it? But yet, isn't that what we do so many times as a church we come every Sunday, and we study the playbook, and we never run a play. It's time that we get out of the locker room and start exercising that playbook. Amen? And I guarantee you, if we tuned in and saw them sitting in the locker room reading a playbook, they wouldn't be getting $4 million for a 30-second spot, would they? So it's time that the church really take command of that battlefield and start Steering this world into what God has for it. Amen? Amen. Okay, you guys are doing good. One left. Okay. Uh, Deep divisions in the spirit of rebellion. Um, America will be plagued by continued unrest on every front. Deep divisions will continue to manifest between the federal government, states, and individual rights. Continued bickering, blame-shifting, partisan politics will continue to divide the nation. Nearly every issue will be marked as divisive by a government spinning out of control. Other nations on the world stage will continue to take advantage of this ever-increasing weakness shown by our leadership. Out of this frustration, the church will be blamed for much of the resistance. Leadership will fail to see that they are now reaping the consequences of our increasing anti-God governmental leaders and policies which have prevailed over the last 50 years. The more they resist the hand of God, the greater they will be resisted. This is the hour for the church to fall to her knees and cry out for the healing of the land. Christians are encouraged and warned not to be found in the camp of the accuser, but we are called to intercede like never before. The urgency of the hour cannot be overemphasized. The church will regain her confidence and courage to be the guiding light out of the deep chaos and confusion that is overtaking the land. Um, we can't afford to get caught up in this bickering and this blame-shifting and name-calling because that's the accuser spirit, right? We're supposed to be anti-that. We're supposed to be those that are able to lead and not follow or fall prey to this. We have a holy prescription for this day and time, and it's Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, then he'll hear from heaven and heal our land. So we have to fight with the spirit, not accusation with accusation. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're spiritual. They're for pulling down strongholds. And when I say the leadership, I'm not talking about this current administration. I'm talking about all the previous administrations as well as this one because over the last 50 years in our lifetime on our watch, the erosion that we've seen, wonder why children are being murdered in schools All over this country. Well, we kicked God out of our schools, remember? So, how can we afford that? How can He afford that protection? Or the abortion issue, or the homosexual issue? All this stuff, this slippery slope that we're on, and we've just constantly capitulated as the church when we need to take the stand and lead the world out of this chaos that it's in right now. So, this can be the church's finest hour to take the lead, and we need to know that either history will record us either as victims or victors. And I don't know about you, but I wanted to record us as those that brought change and brought, brought the greatest revival to this nation that that just uh, trumps every revival up until this point. Amen? So I really want to encourage that and foster that. And the uh, last thing in closing, I just want to announce one of the things One of the strategies that we have as leadership is on the third Sundays we're going to start what's called the C3 Prayer Furnace, and that's going to be a time from 6 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. every third Sunday of the month. We're going to come together as a church body, and we're going to just storm the gates of heaven for our nation, for our church, for our city, for our leaders, and we're just going to pray and worship, and we're just going to bring down heaven And we're just going to put a hole in the atmosphere over this region as we begin to call on God to be our help. Amen? So we need everybody here, everybody to support this, everybody to get behind this. We want this sanctuary filled with intercessors, with worshipers, with those who just delight to seek God's presence and make a change in the atmosphere. And it all starts in prayer And from there, we'll be empowered to go out into the streets and start operating our gifts and bring a maturing church to bear, to bring his kingdom to bear on this society. Amen? So I'm really excited about this. It starts February 17th. Mark your calendars and put it on every third Sunday for the rest of the year because we're going to labor hard to make this thing happen. And so I just want to close now in prayer. If you would all stand with me. I just want to pray a prayer over you. Lord, we just come right now, and we just want to see these words fulfilled. Lord, we want to steward these words properly and with care. Father, we pray that these words would come to pass, that we would put you first, that we would seek your kingdom, Lord, that we would see a great revival sweeping over this land. Lord, that we would see the intercessors and the worshipers taking up their weapons of warfare, that we would praise, that we would intercede for this land and for this territory that you've given us charge over. And Lord, now, if you would just raise your hands, I pray for each and every one of these hands, each and every one of these people, that you would just loose the gifts that you've deposited in them. Lord, that some that are called to be apostles would start moving out apostolically Lord, that those that are gifted prophetically would begin to prophesy. Lord, I pray for the evangelists, that they would be on high alert, that, that year, this year that is the lead gift, that evangelists would be at work wherever we go. We would see them in the streets, in the highways, in the byways, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, for those who are gifted as pastors, that they would begin to minister to all those who are hurting in need. And Lord, for those teachers, for that teaching gift to be unleashed and that they would begin to teach the kingdom principles. And Lord, we just give you all the thanks and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.